Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. We're, we're kind of talking about life groups the last couple of weeks, and, and uh, I want to hit on that. The life groups helps, helps us to do this. To come into this relationship, grow in our relationship with him, but also get to know one another. And so my first point is value. And uh, you spell VI, V-I-E, so that's an acronym for my three points today, so you'll be able to remember them. Uh, Value, there's great value in our relationship with the Lord. And Jesus didn't come and die on the cross to have a marginal relationship with us. He gave it all. And... uh, a great, there's great value in our relationship with one another. Now, I know we've all been hurt. We've all been, you know, maybe stabbed in the back or things like that. And, and, uh, and those, those things are hurtful. I understand that. But I also know the value of these real relationships. And for me, and I think for all of us, it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. Okay, yeah, I may get hurt, but I may have this beautiful diamond of a relationship that's lifelong, that's life-changing, that enriches me, and that I'm able to pour into them and enrich their life. It's a risk, but it's a risk worth taking. And, uh, you know, life groups enrich our walk with the Lord and our relationship with each other. Whenever, whenever I teach, whether it be overseas in India or Malaysia or in Kima, Texas, there are three things that I want to do. I want to encourage whoever I'm speaking to. I want to bring encouragement. And I want to teach or train. I want us to, to learn something. And then I want to challenge us to say, wait a minute. How can I take this Word of God? How can I take what was shared today and implement that in my life? How can I do better? How can I be more godly? How can I love more? How can I be kinder? How can I be more patient? Because the Word of God provides all of these things to help us, but then it's up to us to implement that and execute those things in our lives. So we do that on Sunday morning. You guys come on Sunday morning. We're getting the word. We're worshiping together. We're spending time together. But also on Wednesday morning from 10 to 11, we meet at the property and pray for an hour. Life groups are another way to do that, to enhance our relationship with the Lord and enhance and build our relationships with one another. These are options for our spiritual growth. And, and to come into common unity. Listen, we, we don't really know how somebody acts or, or their beliefs or their personality until we spend time together, right? But it's okay because look at the diversity in this room. That's what heaven's going to look like. You don't have all the white people over here singing their songs and clapping off beat. You don't have all the black people over here jamming. And all the Latinos with their cool rhythms going on. We're all one. Come on, man. 
What a, what a beautiful representation we have here of all kinds of cultures, all kinds of personalities. But we, we have a common unity found in Christ, and we truly love one another. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19, and 20, I tell you the truth, or I tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. So there's power when we come together in unity. And I'm not talking about let's get together and pray for a Mercedes Benz or a Rolex watch. Let's pray for God's will to be done in our lives. As it is in heaven, let it be done on earth. Let's pray for my, my neighbor. Let's pray for my coworker. Let's pray for this prayer request that we just got in the prayer line where somebody's in, in a situation of life or death, where it could be physical, it could be spiritual. It could be a number of different things. When two or more are in unity, when we come into agreement, there is power in our prayers. Amen. Jesus goes on to say in, in, in verse 20, for where two or three gather together is my followers, I am there among them. Let's, let's look at Hebrews 10.23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us hold tightly without wavering. Imagine in your mind, you're, you're just gripped onto somebody, and they're, they're walking around, and they're dragging you around. You got them by the leg, and they're dragging you across the floor. That's what I want us to have in our visual mind. It's not that God is trying to leave us or get away from us, but we hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. We're saying, look, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We can debate Scripture all day long, but listen, you cannot debate what God has done in my life. Let me tell you. Let me show you. Maybe you've seen the changes in my life from where I came from and where I am today, and I'm still being transformed by the renewing of my mind. Romans 12, 2. I love that verse. We are a work in progress. So God can be trusted to keep his promise. What is his promise? Let's back up. Let's go to Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. And so, dear brothers and sisters... We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. We know that Jesus is the only way to come into God's presence. We sang about it today. God's presence opens the door. This relationship with Christ opens the door where we can freely come into his presence through this relationship. Uh, Hebrews 10.20, by his death... Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through this curtain into the most holy place. The old way was through the law. You have to keep the law. The new way is through Jesus. And we know that when the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil that separated the most holy place from the holy place was ripped from the top and the to the bottom, because you remember the only the the high priest could was the only one that could go into the most holy place once a year to atone to pray for the sins of the people, and he had a rope on his ankle in case he died because nobody else could go in there so they could pull him out. He had bells on his robe so they could hear him walking around. 
Hey, uh, high priest, you okay in there? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm fine. Well, I, it sounded, I heard a noise. It sounded like somebody snoring. Uh, I just wanted to check on you. No, 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 I'm praying. But the, only the high priest could go in there. But now, God has made a way that we can go through the curtain. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. A new life giving way into God's presence so we can enter in now through the, into the most holy place through what Jesus has done. And uh, let's read on in 21, Hebrews 10, 21. And since we have a, a great high priest who rules over God's house, that would be Jesus, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. I thought about this, trusting him. Do you, do you just trust anybody that comes along? Hey, Hey, man, I, I, I want to do this for you. I, I want to come and uh, clean your house. And, you know, I, I don't steal anything. I just want to come into your house and, and clean. And, and you, you don't have to be there. Just give me your key. I mean, would you trust somebody like that? <laughs> but, you know, there are people that you trust. How is that? Because you have a relationship with them. You have a history with them. You know their character. You, you know that they love you and, and you love them. And they wouldn't do anything intentionally to hurt, hurt you. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. How do you fully trust God is when you go through some things. And maybe he doesn't give you the answer. Lord, why do you need another church or 50 churches in a five-mile radius? He doesn't have to answer that. But you know what I found is when God is silent, it's because he knows what he's doing. And he's just saying, if you're, if you're submitted to me, you're, you're going to obey what I, what I tell you to do. You can trust me. And so as we've walked in faith and we've seen God move in, in, in our lives, we begin to say, hey, wait. Uh, I remember when you brought somebody to buy our house. You told me to, that you were going to bring somebody to buy our house. There was no sign in the yard. There was no realtor reached out to and you brought somebody okay well now you're telling me that you're going to do this for me or you're going to do that for me mm. let's see i wasn't sure i could trust you in this over here but i saw you come through in greater ways than i could have ever expected or imagined so let me let me trust you in this let me trust you and, we, and that's how we build this relationship. It's a long-term thing of trusting and obeying and watching God do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. But do we have that level of trust with Him? Well, in reality, we're probably all growing in that, right? We're probably saying, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm growing in this area of trust with you, Lord, and yielding to you. This kind of goes against what I'm thinking or my logic or my reasoning or my desires, what I want. But I'm willing to yield to you and trust you and al allow you to do what you do best. Fully trusting comes from this relationship with him. Hebrews 10.22 continues, For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. You ever have any guilt? You ever have any shame? Do you have those, those videos playing in your mind? Oh, remember when you did this? Our guilty 
consciences have been washed with the blood of Christ. Listen, if, if he's forgiven us, who are we not to forgive ourselves? If he's forgiven them, who are we not to forgive them? Guilty conscience, clean with the blood of Christ. Through Christ, we have been washed and made clean. God, shine your light of love into my heart. Those areas in the deepest recesses of my heart, Lord God, that are unpleasing to you or damaging to me or not yielded to you, those things that I don't know how to do, Lord, will you take those sins from my life? Will you help me? Lord, will you help me to yield to you in every area of my life? And even those scary places where like, I'm, I'm afraid to let go, God, because I'm so comfortable in this. Even though I know it's not good for me, I'm comfortable in that place. Lord, would you take those things from my life? My life, your life, has a great impact on you, of course. <laughs> it's your life, right? But your marriage, your children, your grandchildren, your great, 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 great grandchildren, the things that we do, the things that we demonstrate, the life that we live, it doesn't just impact us, but for generations to come, generations that we will never know before heaven are impacted by our life. I was thinking about these scriptures. I know that mo many of these scriptures are, are very familiar. John 10.10, 10, you've probably heard it a thousand times. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you would have abundant life, says Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith when we believe, not of our works, that anyone should boast. We've heard those scriptures. But do you ever need to be reminded of them? Do we ever need to take a step back and we become so familiar with those passages that they're just kind of words. And have we, do we stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to I ponder, Selah. I want to think about this passage of Scripture for a moment. We're saved by grace. Thank you, Lord God, that our salvation is grace-based. It is not performance-based like other religions, like the world would tell us. Like even we kind of feel sometimes maybe in some churches, well, you have to perform. Well, performance is a result of a changed heart and a, a changed life where we want to serve. We want to, we want to do the things that God has called us to do. Let's read on in Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways. Think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Do you ever do that? Ever say, hey, man, I'm thinking about this coworker. I'm thinking about my spouse. I'm thinking about my neighbor. I'm thinking about somebody at church. How can I spur them on? How can I encourage them to acts of love and good works? They're so gracious and kind. What if they did this? What if they opened up their home for a life group or whatever? You know, and so we have the opportunity to motivate one another. The word says, the writer of Hebrews says, let us think of ways. We can motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And so through life groups, there, there's encouragement. 
We encourage one another to love deeper. I had a conversation with someone recently. I don't know if you were here when Pastor Nathan was here. He was talking about honoring one another. What if we honor one another? What if we really love one another? And so we were having this conversation. And to this person, I said, remember what Pastor Nathan talked about honoring one another? And when we come across as cactus people, maybe the last thing we want to do is honor them because, you know, they're a cactus person. They're just looking to stick somebody. But what if we honored them with love? Because most of the times, those cactus people are wounded and hurting inside, and that cactus is just a shell to protect their wounded heart. And so many times I've seen people that are so wounded, they will wound first. I'm going to get you first. I'm going to be rejected, so I'm going to reject you first. And guess what? They get rejected. <laughs> but what if we really reached out to people? What if we weren't vindictive? What if we said, you know what? That hurt, but I love you, and I don't want to hurt you back. So we can encourage to love deeper. We can encourage one another to godly works. You can have good works, but that doesn't make them godly works. We can encourage to, uh, for others to utilize the God-given gifts and talents that he's given us. We all need encouragement. And sometimes it's that conversation of encouragement or love where, where it can impact somebody's life. I know I've shared this with you a hundred times, but when I was working at Valero and that guy, the contractor, came into my lab. He was a contractor. I was a Valero employee. Contractors don't talk to regular employees or a step above, you know. But he comes in and he says, Mark, you say you're a Christian, but the words that come out of your mouth don't reflect it. I wanted to hit him, but he was so right. And I'm so thankful to the Lord that he sent that man, Mark Robertson, into the lab to speak to me. It changed my life. That one relationship was a catalyst to the reality of what was going on in my life and what was coming out of my mouth. It was not very Christian-like what I was saying. The lifestyle that I was living, the things that I was doing. Okay, we're saved by grace through faith, not of our works. Okay, I was saved, but I didn't look very saved. How was I able to minister to the co-workers talking like that? And doing the things that I was doing. How could I encourage somebody to acts of love and good works when I'm not there? So the words that we speak, the Bible says we have the, the power, there's the power of life and death in our tongue. What are we speaking over our children? What are we speaking over ourselves? What are we speaking over our boss? He's an idiot. Okay, well, pray for him. Lord, I thank you for this boss. He's going to be the best boss I've ever worked for. You know, God can do those kinds of things. God can promote you above somebody else that should have been promoted. They don't even know why they're promoting you. But we know because God is able to do those kinds of things. Hebrews 10.25, the first word here is and. Okay, let me back up to 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of loving and good works. And... Okay, wait. 
Also with this, you get a set of Ginsu knives, and you, you get two for one, buy one, get one free, free shipping. Okay. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the time of his return is drawing near. So let us not neglect meeting together. Oh, I have to go to church to prove I'm saved. No, you're saved through Christ. But this environment here is a place of growth. It's a place where we can grow. It's a place where we can rest. Our rest is found in Him. And so we can come together. And we can make God a priority in our lives. We can say, okay, look, I'm, I'm going to commit to going to church on Sunday. Because it's a demonstration to my children. It's a demonstration to my neighbors that see me pull out every Sunday morning and go. They know where I'm going. And so what are we doing? What are we doing to grow in our relationship with the Lord? And so Sunday morning is a, a very valuable thing. We're, we're saying, you know what we're saying when we come on Sunday morning? We're saying, I'm giving my first to God. I'm giving the first of my week to Him. A portion of it, anyway. right? Just like we do our tithe, we give the first of our increase to the Lord. And so it's a way that we are honoring God by giving Him our first. Not our last, but our first. So value, there's an important value when we come together in unity. And because iron sharpens iron, you ever needed some rough spots? You have some burrs that need to be ground, uh, you know, ground down or polished off? My second point, so value, and my second point is importance. We can motivate one another to acts of love and good works because you bring value you are important in other people's lives. And you bring value into relationships with others. Speaking life. Speaking blessings. Speaking encouragement. Modeling a Christ-like life. You can speak peace. You can help bring peace. Hey, 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 calm down. Look, look, let's talk about it. Let's look at this from a different perspective. Maybe God has got this. Maybe you don't have to worry about this. By uh, speaking patience and helping people, I think the greatest thing we can do is just love people. Jesus is an inspiration for us. Are we duplicating his love and grace to others? You know, when I was working at Valero and that, that young man came up and said those things, I was not representing and duplicating Christ very well. Before we go to Luke 19, I want to give a background here. Jesus clears the temple in quotes from Isaiah 56, 7, and Jeremiah 7, 11. And he's, he says, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. Um, before I go there, I had a conversation recently with a man. And I said, hey, do you go to church anywhere? And he said, well, I was going to this church for a while, but there's that family, and I'm like, there's that family? I, I don't know. What, what do you, well, there's an influential family, and uh, they cater to that family. It's all about that family and what they want. And he said it's, it's like it's turned into a social club. And so I was telling him, well, um, I've eaten at a bad restaurant before. I just don't go back there. 
Doesn't mean I don't go eat at a restaurant or I've had a bad steak. I'm not going to quit eating steak because I had a bad steak. You know, it's not God's fault. Maybe you need to find another church. <laughs> you know, just, a, just an idea, just a thought. Um, so let's look at Luke 19, 47 and 48. After that, he taught daily in the temple. But the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him. Jesus was doing the work of the Father. He was doing what God called him to do. People were getting healed, people getting saved, all these things. And the religious leaders were the problem, one of the problems. They're trying to kill him. Verse 48, but they could think of nothing because of all because all the people hung on to every word he said. So Jesus gives us the truth to live this abundant life. He was demonstrating how to develop maintain and model a Christ-like life. Life groups are an important source of spiritual uh, nutrition and growth. And it is my, my deepest passion and desire to see all of us grow and have this personal, intimate relationship with Christ. To have a real, authentic, um, rich, godly relationship with one another. Because when we, when we come together as the body of Christ, it's beautiful. It's powerful. When we come together and pray, whether it be here or on, on Wednesday morning, where two or more gather, there the presence of God is also. There's power as we come together. And we're praying every Wednesday, unless it's raining, <laughs> right, from 10 to 11. But I know that God is doing something supernatural in our midst, in our communities, as we pray for families, as we pray for the communities, as we pray for a Jesus revival to happen, as we pray for the por portal of God to be opened over these areas as we pray that the, the principalities and powers that have maybe been in command of these communities for hundreds, thousands of years are removed and replaced with godly principalities, godly people. Because the enemy doesn't care about a building or, you know, he cares about people. That's what he's trying to do, destroy their lives. And that's God's greatest desire. We just read it in, in Ephesians 2.10. We are God's masterpiece. So do we understand the value that God sees in us? We may not see it, but it doesn't change the fact that we are his masterpiece. Do we understand that not only are we his masterpiece, but our neighbor, everybody around us? God wants to have this relationship with them, but it's congruent upon us yielding to him and saying, Lord, I ask you into my life. So value, importance, my third point is expectations. Expectations of seeing God move powerfully should be an ongoing experience in our life. It shouldn't be just like, oh yeah, I remember 10 years ago when God moved. It should be an ongoing thing. Yes. Where we're seeing the power of God 
move in our lives. Jesus said, these things that I've done, you will be able to do and even greater. I'm not satisfied with anything less than what Jesus said. Seeing our lives transformed should be ongoing. Walking in faith is an expectation we should demonstrate. Walking in faith is an expectation we should demonstrate. I'm going to walk in faith. I don't know what God is doing in this hour. I don't know what God is doing in having us buy this 13 acres. But he told us to do it, and we're doing it. So walking in faith is, is, a, is a challenge, but it's something that we grow in and helps us to continue to walk in faith. So these things should not be anomalies. They should be common experiences where we're seeing God move in our midst. Um, this person that I was talking to recently that was telling me about the church they were going to, um, well, before I go there, let me back up. Let me, let me give a little background into this situation. I got a call from uh, a person that, uh, that I had not seen, literally, in probably about 12 years. And I uh, hadn't seen his family, really, in about 17 years. And when we first moved to the Houston area, we went to the same church. And uh, we were no longer going to that church. Anyway... Uh, he called me, I guess it was about, <clears throat> and I haven't even shared this, this praise report with the, with the, uh, praise, I mean, the prayer team, but uh, he called me probably, I guess about 10 months ago, and said that his daughter had been in a horrible accident. She was walking across the street, what is that, C, 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 C Wall Boulevard in Galveston, whatever that main street is. And she was walking across the street, and she got hit by a drunk driver. And I think he said she flew like 50 or 60 feet. And he called me, and he said, uh, he told me what happened. He said, Mark, would, would you pray for her? He said, um. now, I hadn't, talked, I hadn't seen this guy or talked to him in like 10 or 12 years. And he says, I know when you pray, God... God answers your prayers. I said, well, you know, let, let's be clear here. <laughs> it's not because I'm praying that God is moving. I mean, I'm, I'm praying, but God is the one that does the work. Okay, let's be really clear about that. And uh, so, I mean, this, this young girl was on the cusp of death, physical death. I think she was unconscious. She was uh, in a coma for a number of weeks, days, weeks, I don't know. She was in the hospital for like a month or more. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, I run into this, this girl's mother, and I hadn't talked to her during this event. I run into her, and I said, how's your daughter doing? She said, she is doing so well. She's completely healed. She started a job at NASA last week. And when I talked to the father months ago, I said, you know what? When God, if God heals her, and we're praying that he does, we're speaking life and blessings and wholeness and healing over her. Well, I, I told him, I said, look, I'm going to pray for her as if it's my own daughter. And we're going to believe, but it's up to God what he does. But we're going to pray because we're gonna, we have the authority to come into the most holy place. Yeah. 
and present our petitions to God with boldness. The word says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Look, I don't know. I don't really know this young lady, Lord, but I pray for healing for her, and we will give you the praise and the glory and the honor and the thanks. And so when this mother told me that her daughter was doing so well, I began to thank God right there. I said, Lord God, we give you praise and glory and honor and thanks. Lord, I told you that we would give you the glory, that we would give you the thanks as we were speaking life and blessings and wholeness and that there would not be any residual impact from this, this accident, Lord God. I prayed. We prayed that. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And this mother told me that she had gone to Tier, where our Miss Karen was a VP over that rehab center, and they had done amazing things with her. And this, this young woman now, she has a normal life because of God's healing and because of the, the, the people that were placed in her life, this rehab center and the doctors and nurses, they were all a part of that. But I think those that were praying probably had a bigger part. So what, what's my point in all this story? Talking about the guy that, that didn't go to church because it was a social club. What's my point in telling you about this story that contacted me 10, 12 years later and said, would you pray for my daughter? The point is, is that I had a relationship with this man and this family. And he knew that there was somebody that he could call that would be praying for his daughter who was on her deathbed, who may never be, be normal again, may never be able to, to walk again, whatever. And so we have the same opportunity as we build relationships with one another and other people. God can use your life in a powerful way if you will yield to Him. God pours through clean vessels. And I'm not saying we have to be spotless and never have any kind of issues or anything. But we need to, to maybe do better than what we're doing and allow God to pour through our lives in a powerful way. That we have this connection with God that we can come, that we understand that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. God, I'm coming to your throne of grace. I'm lifting this lady up. I'm lifting this person up because they can't do anything to fix the situation, but I know you can. And I'm standing with them. I'm interceding for them. I'm praying with expectation that you are going to do something. We have that opportunity. We're not going to have that opportunity in heaven. Huh. Come on. Let's seize the moment now. Acts 2.42 All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. All the believers devoted themselves to the teachings of the Bible and to fellowship. Oh, let's not leave out fellowship. That's important. Is teaching the Bible important? Yes. But so is fellowship and sharing together in meals and to praying together in prayer. So life groups are based on the Bible. They're, they're based on incorporating fellowship. Many of them, if not all of them, have some snacks. <laughs> 
So you want a little snack, you can probably find one there. Life groups will include praying together. And here's what you can expect to receive. You can expect to grow spiritually. Not just on Sunday morning, but in life groups. And whenever we gather together, opportunities to serve others. One of the greatest marks of maturity is serving. When we serve, we're demonstrating what Christ did. He said, I I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Let me wash your feet. Let me take the role of the lowest position in the house, the lowest servant. Let me wash your feet. So we have opportunities to serve. Deeper relationships, building friendships that last forever, for all eternity. There's accountability. Hey, how you doing? You staying on track with that issue you've got? Yeah, yeah. Or, or you know what? Hey, you know the thing we talked about? I'm not doing so well today. Can you, can you pray with me? Can you stand with me? Yeah. And expectations of, of what you can expect. Or, or uh, other, uh, let me say it this way. Uh, expectations of, of what what uh, the attendees should do is commit. Commit. If you've signed up for a life group, commit to it. Because if you don't go, you've blocked somebody else from going. So be committed to going to the life groups. Have open hearts to receive. Say, I've come here with an open heart to receive, Lord. Whatever you want to pour into me, give it to me. Give it all to me. And uh, the, the other expectation of attendees is follow the life group li- uh, guidelines. You know, we've established that what's said here is, is stays here. So people can be free to share. Um, respect others. Respect others' comments. Be on time. Don't dominate the whole conversation. Allow other people to, to uh, share and uh, express their opinions and their feelings. Because we come together in common unity. And many times that means it's not all about me. Maybe I need to give some space for someone else because maybe they're really hurting. So vie to eagerly contend for something. The enemy is vying for your soul. Jesus is not vying for it because he doesn't have to contend for anything. He's not fighting the enemy. But it's up to us. We have a free will and we get to make the choices. Are we going to serve him? Are we going to serve the Lord? Are we going to serve our own flesh? It's up to us. I'd like